today on Laura Lynn and Friends. I'm much more worried about waking up in idiocracy, where everyone around me is pretty stupid and the machines are even dumber and the machines are in charge. That is my deepest fear. That is what keeps me up at night. Well, hello everyone and welcome to the beginning of the last days. My name is Laurel and Tyler Thompson and uh, we are thrilled to be with you today. We have an incredible guest. Transhumanism is what we're talking about, the war against humanity. And uh, I think that we understand something's taking place that is beyond what we ever thought would happen. You know, I love to start the show with reading from my dad's Bible. He passed away about two years ago. And, um, and so I love to see what he underlined and he's underlined practically every single page of this Bible. It's not hard to find something. I opened it up today to Psalms 4, verse 4, Psalms 4, verse 4, stand in awe and sin not. Commune, commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Amen. Um, I love that. I'm trying to find ways to make sure that I'm communing uh, quietly on my own bed and not freaking out about the things that we hear about, which we're going to talk about today. It's a little bit scary sometimes to think about what's happening, but there are people uh, like the incredible Joe Allen, who has written a book, uh, Dark. So now how do I say this? Aeon. Is it Aeon? Um, we're going to ask Joe, uh, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. Joe Allen has written for Chronicles, The Federalist, Human Events, The National Pulse, uh, Parabola, Sal Salvo and Protocol, the Journal of the Entertainment Technology Industry. He holds a master's degree from Boston University where he studied cognitive science and human evolution as they pertain to religion. As an arena rigger, he's toured the world for rock and roll, country, rap, classical, and cage fighting productions. Very interesting, completely different worlds. He now serves as the transhumanism editor for Bannon's War Room. And we all love Bannon. So uh, without any further waiting, Joe Allen, thank you for joining us today. Uh, tell us about this incredible book. First of all, um, awesome. Y you do so much work. And uh, please let uh, Mr. Bannon know how much we love him and that the world is grateful that he has sacrificed and paid a very high price to speak the truth at this hour. And you're doing the same thing. And, and thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, yes, uh, I will absolutely convey the message to Steve. And uh, yes, I am uh, undoubtedly a jack of all trades, master of none. Uh, although I did finish a book, I suppose that's as close to mastery as you get in that realm. That, that, is, uh, that is a very big feat. I have one book as well. Um, dark, how do we say that first word? Uh, dark Eon. Eon. It, okay. But it is it's potato, potato. You take your pick. Uh, dark <laughs> okay. Eon. You know, the Christian, the Christian Gnostics tend to pronounce it Aeon. So it really, it could go both ways. But, you know, what can I say? Even the Gnostics aren't saying it correctly. So uh, yesterday as well, we had a guest talking about this dark era. Uh, Naomi Wolf was on. And we did speak about the, the very craziness of what we've all um, come into. So... Since you've been following this, I'm guessing for quite a while with your, uh, you know, list of many places that you've been writing for, you're obviously informed and awakened. Um, has this been a shock to you, first of all, the level to which the darkness has now been exposed and also understanding what's going on, especially with things like transhumanism? They, they really do believe that, that they want to combine humanity 
with machinery. I would say surprised at the rate, uh, certainly not shocked. I, you know, this first came on my radar uh, many, many, many years ago, over, over a quarter century ago uh, in the late 90s uh, with the, the works of the uh, beloved Ted Kaczynski, but also uh, Ray Kurzweil, the iconic uh, architect of the concept of the technological singularity. Uh, you know, at the time, reading uh, Ray Kurzweil especially, the, these notions that machines would gain capabilities beyond the human and that the human being, in order to remain relevant in the future, would have to fuse with it. Uh, it was very horrifying. It was, at the time, very shocking. We're talking about uh, year 2000, year 2001 or so. Uh, but it, it really, I, I thought, ultimately, it's kind of laughable. And I, I did shrug it off. Every now and then, I would return to the concept in my writing. Um, and, you know, to the extent that I studied technology academically, uh, the concepts of transhumanism or the singularity would come up. But it really wasn't until maybe about uh, six or seven years ago while at Boston University, uh, seeing what artificial intelligence has been used for, for social modeling, especially modeling religious systems, that's modeling the psychology of religious adherence, and then trying to model the, the broader economic social systems using AI, when I started seeing that, it really, um, I, I think it stunned me, not only the, par the project itself, but how uh, well they were able to do so. And then, of course, for the last five years, the acceleration of uh, genetic engineering, of artificial intelligence, whether it's generative or otherwise. Yeah, I've been shocked uh, uh, in the past. This is just more um, kind of a, an eerie feeling, an ominous feeling that something is definitely coming at us. Uh, is it the hype? Uh, is it uh, is this going to be completely empty? Uh, this, uh, there are a lot of questions surrounding what's happening. But one thing is for sure, whether they are uh, shilling products that never come through or whether we're on the verge of creating digital gods that will rule over whole societies, uh, the society itself, the population is being primed for it. And uh, what actually comes out the other end, I think, will be uh, uh, it will be questionable as to whether it's human or at all. You know, we've watched in movies where we can see that uh, these uh, artificial intelligence um, beings can kind of start thinking for themselves, you know, and determining things. And if they're more powerful, if they're smarter, if if they're uh, they've got more weaponry, is it possible that the end of hum humanity as we know it, because your book says war against humanity, um, when you look at everything lining up, I guess we can't predict the future, but what you're seeing is sort of a course and a, a pathway that they might, they might rule over us. It could be that crazy. You know, look at been, AI, look at chat GPT. I've, I've it's so been, smart. Uh, I've always been a big fan of double meanings. So, you know, dark Eon itself has a double meaning, uh, one very obvious, the other mystical, uh, and then the war against humanity has a double meaning. The one on, on its face, and this is discussed among AI experts from Jeffrey Hinton, the kind of godfather of neural networks, to more fringe figures, but uh, is a thinker much more important, like uh, Hugo de Garris, author of The Artelect War. They are talking about AIs that because they have gained volition and because uh, their capacities ex exceed human beings, that they will be the natural inheritors of cognition on Earth, right? They will eventually rule over us. 
Uh, perhaps they'll turn us into pets. Perhaps they'll turn us into slaves. Uh, perhaps they'll kill us all. That's uh, one side of that. And these are people, some of these people are coming out and saying, this is a danger that we face. Other people are coming out and saying, this is actually in some sense the goal, or at least we're indifferent to whether or not human beings continue to exist. The real important thing is that hyper-intelligent beings continue to exist, this post-human sort of philosophy, the idea that we are here in many ways as a sort of as fertile soil uh, for uh, an AI that is, is no more important than dirt and in fact will be left behind when the AIs go away. The other concept though, the other meaning, and I think it's the more immediate threat and it is without a doubt happening and has been happening for centuries the war against the human as a concept the war against the very idea of humanity if you look at the ways in which conceptual barriers are being breached all around us this has been a slow rolling process but for the last 10 to 20 years it's been relentless the barriers between gender the barriers between human beings and animals uh, the barriers between human beings and machines all of these conceptual barriers are being broken down. We have, there are schools of thought, and they're very predominant schools of thought, that paint that person who makes clear distinctions between man and woman, between my nation and another nation, uh, between human and animal, and of course, between human and machine, that such a, person, uh, such a person making these sensible distinctions is in fact unsophisticated, that the more sophisticated way to see it is everything on a spectrum with no borders whatsoever. Uh, and that is, uh, in some ways, a much more dangerous war against humanity because if the AI just kills us all, well, then that's the end of the problem. That's just like that. If uh, we are in, in some way sort of brainwashed into believing uh, that we are not inherently uh, worthy of dignity, that we do not possess rights of our own above and beyond you know, either animal or machine, uh, then I think that we are being primed for a, a future of servitude as are, as, as are the next generation. So in, in your book, do you talk about Yuval Noah Harari and his thoughts about how they want to know now what's inside our skin? Uh, I discussed that at length, actually. Um, uh, a friend of, of mine and I actually were uh, discussing that earlier today. Yes, uh, Yuval Harari, I think, is someone who uh, should... People should read his book, Homo Deus, from cover to cover if they want to really understand what's going on there. And I think that um, his two full speeches at the World Economic Forum from 2000, the 2018 appearance and the 2020 appearance, if, if your listeners were to listen to any one of those all the way through, listening careful, uh, carefully for what he's actually saying, I think they might be quite surprised as to what Yuval Noah Harari is really about. I discuss him at length uh, in the uh, seventh chapter of my book uh, entitled uh, Homo Deus, A Man of Wealth and Taste. I'm sure uh, Rolling Stones fans will understand that double meaning as well. But uh, I, what's really important to me is that people understand that what Yuval Noah Harari is talking about with the Homo Deus, right, the God man, uh, and what Harari is talking about when he speaks of human beings as hackable animals, what they need to understand is that this God-man is not the historians like Yuval Harari, nor is it the economists like Klaus Schwab. The God-man he's talking about are the venture capitalists and the tech titans, such as 
Elon Musk, such as Mark Zuckerberg, such as Jeff Bezos. I think that the uh, intense focus on people like Harari who are talking about these technologies uh, really distracts from the people who are really working on these technologies. And so uh, when uh, people worry that Harari is somehow glamorizing or pushing artificial intelligence or brain computer interfaces or uh, ubiquitous robots that turn workers into a useless class, um, they oftentimes ignore the fact that Elon Musk is working on artificial general intelligence at, a at, uh, at XAI, that he is in fact uh, positioning himself to be at the forefront of brain computer interface technology, brain implants, implants in your brain sold commercially and billed as being a way to keep up in a fast paced world, right? Kind of like your smartphone, kind of like your new Tesla car, right? Uh, and also he is producing at the moment is pretty ridiculous, but as fast as robotics is also advancing, who knows what it's going to look like in 10 years. He's producing the Optimus robot. The intention is, of course, to do away with menial blue collar work, thus producing a massive useless class that will not be able to get by without something like a UBI, a universal basic income, a dole for those people who are no longer of value, economic value to elites. So yeah, uh, Yuval Harari is very important as far as the the frame, the atheistic frame he puts around what's happening with these technologies. But I think that the real import is uh, the, the Silicon Valley oligarchs and their counterparts in China and in Europe to some extent, and more and more so in India. It's absolutely fascinating. So help me to understand, because uh, on any given day, I either like Elon Musk because we have X and we can say anything we want and we have no problems getting our stuff, um, you know, shadow banned on X. So I've appreciated that about him. And then I've, I've also heard that he says, uh, you know, we have to be very careful, uh, you know, of what's going on with AI. To, to the other side about, you know, the chip implants and stuff. And I go, oh my gosh, he's ushering in the Antichrist. So but because he's a bit different than, let's say, um, the the Facebook guy. You just mentioned him. Um, yeah, yeah. Mark, Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg. Because uh, Zuckerberg is just, like, he's pure evil. I mean, he kind of looks like a Nephilim when you look at him. I mean, in a way, Elon Musk does, too. Not to be offensive about their looks, but they kind of look scary. Huh. Uh, but... But with Zuckerberg, I see a lot of real pure evil and his intent has been clear with with um, with Elon. I kind of feel like he's got this ability to do something, but maybe he's not pure evil and he's he's kind of afraid of it, too. Uh, he's really good at marketing. That's for sure. He's <laughs> definitely able to, you know, uh, he, he's able to, to read a room and know what pitch is going to sell. That's not to say that he is disingenuous with what he's doing and saying. I, I don't know the guy's heart. I, in fact, I think that the quest to know people's hearts uh, is pretty futile. It's easy to project, very easy or very difficult to perceive. But as far as Musk goes, if you look at how he actually behaves, what he's actually working on, uh, I, I, don't, I can't think of any more bug man vehicle than the Tesla, especially the concept that there will all be autonomous and you simply step into your car and, and, and tell it to, or maybe if things get really bad, you beg it to take you to your next destination without any agency whatsoever. 
in many ways, I think that's kind of symbolic of the situation we face as a whole, where uh, we are told more and more that we are not capable as human beings of organizing our own lives, of making our own decisions, that our, our perceptions of reality are in fact flawed. And in fact, the machine, the superhuman machine will represent a, a watershed in history where a superior intelligence has taken over. Um, I, I, maybe I could use this to bring up one point that oftentimes gets lost uh, in, in 15 minute reports uh, on the war room or elsewhere. It is, it, I follow the logic of AI taking on its own sort of volition and AI having a life of its own and, and deciding to do whatever with humanity, even to turn us all into uh, angels in its virtual heaven, whatever it decides. Uh, but I think that really in many ways distracts us from where we're at right now and where we're likely to be in the very near future. Uh, we're being told AI is this thing, this is this disincarnate entity uh, that we are to listen to and consult for knowledge, for wisdom, for reality. Uh, when in fact, I mean, it, 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 there is a certain uh, reality to that. But for the most part, it is a technology deployed by uh, functional oligarchs and oftentimes deployed by governments who have acquired that from tech companies. And the best way to think of AI, it would be if you need, if, you know, to the extent you think of it as an entity at all, as is sort of a foot soldier for the super wealthy and for the super powerful. And so that's really what we're kind of facing here. You know, to, to look at Elon Musk, the wealthiest man on earth, uh, you know, mammon incarnate, if nothing else, as a potential savior, uh, I think it's uh, the wrong way to go, especially given that he intentionally wore, uh, as, you know, obviously satanic armor from Halloween of 2022 until just a few months ago. Uh, I, I, it's impossible for me to imagine that as an intelligent person, he didn't know what he was signaling with the, the ram's head with the upside down cross that very much resembles a Baphomet. Uh, and given his sense of humor and given his sort of uh, uh, smugness, I would imagine he's basically, it was a way to spit in the face of all the Christians who give him so much support. That's the way I perceive it. But again, mm. I don't know the guy's heart. Maybe he's actually uh, a demon worshiper in disguise. Who knows? Right, right. Well, well very, well, very uh, interesting. So do you think do you think that this is something that because there's a part of scripture that actually says that unless God shortened the days there'd be no one left. Is this part of it? Is this part of what can become the ab, the absolute destruction of humanity and it's an anti-god, anti-religion like they they're forming their own religion. It's the new religion, I guess as uh, Harari might say. But is this what could literally be the end? Are, after you've looked into it this incredibly does it concern you? Do you think this might be playing into literal end time prophetic uh, prophecies? You know, I deal with this a lot in the book. Um, I, I talk about that at length in the, uh, the ninth chapter, uh, everything from the correlations to prophecies from the book of Daniel and uh, the, the kind of concepts of seeming technological concepts in Ezekiel. And of course, uh, the book of Revelation and the uh, mark of the beast in Revelation. Now, uh, I'm old enough to remember when the end of the world was going to uh, come in the year 2000. And uh, I remember how... Uh, right, Y2K? Uh, all of it. Well, I mean, there was all of these, these theological arguments to be made that uh, due to all of these correspondences from the book of Revelation, the year 2000 was going to be the banger. Mm -hmm. uh, what happened instead was the year 2000 came and went. And by um, about a year and nine months later, we got not, you know, 9-11 
And very soon after that, we had the open declaration of a worldwide surveillance grid and U.S. citizens were told that they were under constant surveillance on the Internet that was billed as a great marketplace and a way to socialize in the previous years. And so uh, and everything else that kind of came after that as well, this whole concept that if you had anything good to say about a Muslim, you were a, a terrorist sympathizer. And if you uh, had anything bad to say about our invasions of Afghanistan, Iraq, you were a traitor to your nation. Um, I think that what we're kind of facing a similar situation here with the end of the world by way of AI. I, you know, I will bet any listener a thousand dollars AI is not going to kill everybody. Uh, and I will be there to pay up uh, should that come true. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I think that what what's happening is, you know, on the same level, there is a natural anxiety about these rapid changes. You have powerful men like Putin. You have powerful men like Klaus Schwab, or at least influential men like Klaus Schwab, powerful men like Xi Jinping, all saying that the future in essence rests on technology, that the world order rests on the future of technology. You're hearing Biden mumble something like that every now and then because he's being told to. I do fear that they're going to have somebody much more articulate and forceful to make that case in America in the future. I guess that's already Elon Musk, actually. But um, what we're seeing is undoubtedly a shift in power based on real technology. That's one level of it, and it has to be kept in mind. But what's ultimately important to me is that we're seeing a complete conceptual shift. We're seeing the rise of kind of heterodox techno religion. It is openly declared that they are creating digital God, right? The AGI as it advances will be a God and that there will be multiple gods. We'll live in some sort of polytheistic world in which he with the greatest AI is the priest and anyone who is under him is part of this sort of digital religion. There's all this discussion about digital immortality, that one's imprint on the digital system is going to be the ultimate meaning of one's life and that one's virtual existence is as important, if not more important than one's existence in the real world. Uh, give you one example that I've been uh, hitting a lot. The founder, uh, co-founder of Inflection AI, his name is uh, uh, Mustafa Suleiman. And in a recent interview, he was talking about the metaverse. And the metaverse is well beyond meta. The idea goes back way before meta. Uh, the metaverse is simply the concept that there is a digital realm that exists over and above the personal and the social. And that this digital realm is becoming increasingly important in proportion to the personal and the social. And the metaverse is that digital universe wherein we will live, work, and play. That already exists, Mustafa Suleiman says, and I believe he is correct, although he's much happier about it than any sane person should be. And the example he gives to, to, to kind of uh, uh, support that argument is he asks the question, how many hours a day do you spend looking into a screen or a device versus how many hours a day do you look into the eyes of someone you love? And that proportion, the, the, the former, exceeds the latter for, I would argue, probably half or more people in the developed world. And it's increasing day by day by day. And the same importance is given on even like environments like this, where we're doing interviews online and our digital face becomes the sort of eternal version of ourselves endlessly repeating until it's either deleted or forgotten or becomes a god as the transhumanist hope. Uh, this is theological in its nature. 
the idea of creating a God in silico and the idea that you yourself, your soul exists as a digital imprint and everything else that goes along with it, including the creation of humanoid robots. These dreams go back 2,500 years to ancient Greece, ancient China, and ancient India. Now we are seeing the creation of living statues that can speak. We're seeing the creation of genies, except for these genies exist in servers instead of bottles. And so uh, the, beyond the actual technologies, I think the most important element of all of this is the rise of this techno religion, whether it's called such or whether it's just implicit, whether it just sits below the surface. The, if, if religion is what that which you bind yourself to, that which gives you your, your justification or salvation for these people for whom God as a supernatural entity is just a non-entity, right? It's like it's, it's, it's a non-issue. The only way out of an empty cosmos is through the creation of these technologies. And as they become more and more sophisticated, they don't have to do exactly what they say. It doesn't have to be a God and it doesn't have to be actually you living on in silico. All it has to do is be sophisticated enough that enough people buy it. Mm. And uh, you see how many Teslas are on the road. Uh, it, they're, they're, their selling points are working like gangbusters. So do you believe that this is ultimately um a new religion and a lot of people definitely would be falling for it because there's, there's just a decline in the basic belief in one God, the Christian God. Uh, this, this could be the replacement. Um, should this be, um, I'll ask you this. Did you have sleepless nights after the investigation and the writing of this book? Uh, I had a lot of sleepless. I've, I've I've been all my life has been sleepless nights, so I can't say I noticed a whole lot of difference. Um, I, I, this what scares me the most is the idea that our society will be completely overhauled and the entire concept of human dignity will be undermined, and we will live in a world in which the technologies that are all around us in some sense have more authority than we do. And you already see that happening already. I'm not worried about the elites are talking about their, you know, this concern that the smart uh, and even the wealthiest of the wealthy. I don't know if they're really worried about that or not, but I, I think that what we should worry about uh, people who are either middle class or below, uh, what we need to worry about are the deployment of machines that do in fact have more authority than us, that you know, you get in your car and you tell it to go somewhere and it won't, that you are in a situation where because of digital currency, you've run afoul of the state and suddenly your money is not, uh, been, you're not able to spend it at the store. A state, this entire situation was, there was a preview of this for the last three years in which if you would not submit to an experimental mRNA-based uh, technology, if you would not be a lab rat in this worldwide experiment, well, in many states and cities in America and many countries across the world, you couldn't go outside and be a normal participant. You couldn't go into stores. You couldn't go into restaurants. You couldn't go into church. You couldn't go anywhere because you were not upgraded. You were not part of the system. This value system run by techno capital, this value system is driving us towards that. And yes, there are certain socialist faces on this side and there are certain capitalist faces on the other, but in general, the value 
system is one of increasing uh, a sophistication of technologies and this belief that the technologies are at least better than the average person at making decisions, at accomplishing tasks, and therefore the average person is subservient to them. And the biggest nightmare of all is what happens when such a system is constructed around us and there really is no escape and the machines end up being kind of glitchy, that they malfunction all the time. Uh, I'm, I'm, to, to put it in short, I'm much less worried about waking up in the matrix in which I live in a virtual reality that is pumped into my head with trodes. I'm much more worried about waking up in idiocracy where everyone around me is pretty stupid and the machines are even dumber and the machines are in charge. That is my deepest fear. That is what keeps me up at night. <laughs> well, well, that's an interesting way to look at it because in a way you think, oh, these machines are going to be so smart and they're going to control us. And then digital currency, oh, you spent too much on your carbon footprint. So your car can't work this week. And, and you're literally controlled by everything going on. What about the, the possibility of these um, machines being able to read our thoughts? Like, is, is that a reality that we can... I don't understand. It's very hard for me to understand how you take these electrical, uh, you know, synapses that's going on in our brains and you turn it into a way that something mechanical could ever be able to read our thoughts. But do you, do you see that coming? Uh, it's here. It's already here. You've got the um, brain computer interfaces, non-invasive brain computer interfaces can do that. The invasive brain computer interfaces can do that. Uh, maybe more important than any of those, though. The digital footprint you leave on your devices and all around you in the environment uh, can easily, I mean, it is constantly being gathered into various dossiers that are held by governments and corporations, uh, advertising agencies, wherever. All of that represents a means to understand the individual as uh, Yuval Harari would say, better than that individual understands his or herself. And it becomes a way of hacking the human mind. So. Just to take an example, if you had a uh, political party, and this is basically every party at this point, just to put it, you know, without making it too subtle, every political party, pretty much every campaign is doing everything possible to rake up as much information as they can about the, the sentiments of their constituents, right? It used to be, you know, going door to door and various other ways of getting that information. Now it's as simple as having algorithms that can scrape social media and take the temperature of the room, so to speak. And you can then craft propaganda that would directly target that constituency. And it, to the extent that your mass data mining has produced an accurate image of the psychological profiles in your constituents, and to the extent that you're able to craft propaganda to change their minds just like that, whether it's true or not, uh, you have hacked human beings. That's in fact what Harari was talking about. But the non-invasive brain computer interface, the more dramatic form of it, I think is, 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 is it exists. It is a fantastic symbol on the one hand and also a kind of terrifying actuality on the other. The way it works is you have uh, an AI. It's not like something that I can just take a gun unless, you know, there are a lot of people who say they have, they're 50 years ahead of anything you see today. Okay, well, then I guess they have mind reading uh, laser guns. But outside of that, the way it works, you have to have the person in a lab uh, and you have to spend a lot of time training the algorithms to match what that person is either perceiving or what they're thinking to the patterns of the brain, right? So the, every thought or sensation is going to have a kind of unique signature in the brain. And so you, if you ever see the videos, the people have these kind of shower caps on, there are electrodes all over them. Uh, here's a picture of a cat. 
Here's a picture of a dog. Think about your mom. Think about eating breakfast, whatever it may be. And the entire time, the, the machine is reading the neurological profile to each of those thoughts. And once it is able to recognize the algorithm itself, it's not a human being you know, playing an Atari. It, the algorithm itself is able to correlate what the person is seeing, what the person is thinking, what the person intends to do with unique neurological signatures. They can do that with non-invasive interfaces. Again, um, they're getting better and better and better. There's a wonderful book called The Battle for Your Brain by Nita Farahaney in which she describes uh, basically like their little iPods that at least are able to pick up minor neurological activities. But the more dramatic are the actual brain-computer interfaces. Elon Musk is working on a very sophisticated form of this with Neuralink, but there are two other companies that are already way ahead of him as far as actually doing it. That's BlackRock, Neurotech, and that's also Synchron. I detail both of them in the book, and they already have relatively sophisticated brain-computer interfaces in people's skulls, and these are paralytics, people who need it, and they're able to read intention. They're able to read intended motion of limbs to move robotic limbs. And they're able to read words to print out thoughts on screen. Uh, and that's how it's done. They simply do extensive testing to map your neurological activity to your thoughts. And once that map is made, then all you need is a device to read, read sort of what's going on in the brain, including, by the way, like what you're imagining. Uh, it's very, very murky. Uh, there is a whole uh, a, a subfield of transhumanism that says that they've already done it. The aliens brought it. It's happened a million times in past civilizations. I encourage uh, any listener to uh, explore all of that because it's a lot of fun. But uh, as far as what I can confirm exists, uh, I, I think that the real monster under your bed that you need to worry about is the smartphone. And uh, the smartphone is just a stepping stone on the way to these things. But if it's not, let's imagine none of those technologies exist. They just continue to be dreams coming out of Elon Musk's marketing team. Then um, what we still have is a ubiquitous digital network that absorbs the innermost thoughts of the population. And we already have algorithms that are just sophisticated enough to rake up what is uh, important or useful or exploitable in that data. So I would argue that even if we never make it to the brain implant, we already have the black mirror from 2001, A Space Odyssey. And uh, most of us are uh, kind of trapped inside. Wow. Joe Allen, you are absolutely fascinating. And I just cannot wait to get my hands on your book and to learn about how desperate our humanity is. And I, I like the way you began. You said, well, you do have a good laugh over it. And I and maybe we should entertain that because God laughs in the heavens at their schemes. Right. Yep. And no matter what, we're going to be OK. But I think that without knowledge, the people perish. And you brought a lot of knowledge in your book. And so we just encourage everyone, Dark Eon, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. Humanity. Uh, Joe Allen is the author. Thank you for giving us this time. We know you're on your way to uh, the, the war room. So uh, give them give them everything you got. Tell the world the truth. And thank you very much for spending your valuable time with us. We really appreciate it. No, I really appreciate the invite. Thank you very much. God bless. And um, I, I hope you enjoyed the book. I will. Thank you, Joe. Take care. God bless. Thanks a lot.
Okay, that is fascinating. And that man is fascinating. We definitely could spend probably two hours talking to him. You can tell that for sure. It's sad that uh, that it was so short. Um, what we need to do, and Toby, if you're hearing me right now, like let's try and get Joe on again, you know, maybe in six months because life is changing so fast. Don't you find like right now it's sort of like, you know, we're entering this new industrial uh, revolution, um, you know, like every single day there's something different that's happening that is scary and kind of beneficial at the same time. So you're like, well, I kind of like that, but I, I don't know what to do. Right. Um, I'm told by a friend of mine that in a, you know, within six months or to a year, uh, you'll be able to watch this show in Mandarin and, um, Spanish and, you know, over 60 different languages. And, you know, we'd be able to communicate in a way so that we would tell the world, give the world our message. And I was having a little bit of a chat last night with a friend and she's saying, well, I don't know. I don't think that it's authentic and I don't think it's, um, you know, it's credible. Like if, if, you know, somebody is, is speaking or preaching or anything in a different language, you know, because people don't know. And I said, well, you tell the people that I am speaking English and AI is translating this message in your language, moving my mouth at the exact uh, ways in which I would speak in that manner um, in order to get the message out. And I said, yes, this is the problem. Is, is this, um, is this authentic? And I, I said to her, well, we always seem to get on the uh, technology wave a little bit late as Christians, if you ask me. Um, we fight things and then eventually we embrace them and then we use them for good. You know, uh, when technology increased in the internet, I had lots of people tell me how bad the internet was and all of that. And it was, and, and it has spread a lot of harmful things, but it has also enabled very good things. Uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and the power of God and messages of hope have been able to be spread because we have this technology. So there, there's got to be uh, an understanding that there's both good and evil of all things. Now, when it gets to the point where it's 100% bad, I mean, I cannot see the good at all of being able to have people that, you know, or, or machines that are reading our minds. Um, Lord knows on a bad day, like what if it's communicating, your friend can read, you know, your mind and you're having a, you know, an evil thought about them or, you know, you're mad or, and, and <laughs> you know, like your inside voice is now being projected somewhere so that people can know what you're feeling on the inside in a bad moment. Like you might have rage, you might have anger, um, you know, hey, uh, what about lust, right? Uh, exposing everything that's, that's in the dark parts of, of human beings. And it's, able to be put out there. It's, it's a, it's a mm, mind boggling, you know, proposition to all of that. So I do know that today, right now, there is, there has been, um, a shooter that was let go. And I don't know if you can see anything updates. I heard he's been shot and killed, but they are looking for more victims is what I heard. So I don't know if we can find something just to give a little update on that. It's very sad. Um, so it was almost six years ago now when a 13-year-old Burnaby girl uh, was raped and murdered by a Syrian refugee, um, allegedly, until we figure out if uh, uh, Abraham Ali is deemed guilty 
or not guilty. From what I've read in newspaper articles, um, he's been very disrespectful of the court um, cases that have come up. Um, apparently, sometimes he would be sleeping or he would have like some sort of his jacket over his head. Something very strange, you know, was going on with that. And it was a little bit uh, concerning that I'm going to see if I can pull up something here uh, wherein I had more information on what it was looking like. Um, so I think if we understand what's happening is that perhaps um, the, the uh, verdict has been given today about whether this man will be convicted of the rape. Some other things that I've heard have been stated in the in the court case was uh, some defense of it was consensual, that the sex was consensual. Um, very, it's a very shocking story, and they are now not allowing. There's a publication ban on saying this young lady's name, which we said many, many times in 2019. Uh, we talked about her an awful lot. So it's surprising to me that, um, I guess because of her age, um, perhaps they've just protected her identity. So we pray for justice in the case of this beautiful young Chinese girl. Um, I did interview uh, behind the scenes her father at one point and some family members. And as you can imagine, um, she was found uh, brutally uh, murdered in Burnaby Park, in, in Central Park there in Burnaby. So we pray for justice there. I want to show you a quick uh, video. New Zealand vaccine data whistleblower Barry Young, uh, we spoke about this yesterday, speaking to how he thinks that the data is legitimate and calling for the government to release the data so it can be properly analyzed. Take a look. I've had high-level access all over the world. I worked in Swiss banks in Zurich, and so I've had top-level clearance um, for 20 years. And I worked in a, the biggest New Zealand bank for 10 years with the same like top-level data access to old customers' data. So when alarm bells started going off with this, you know, I know data quite well. Um, when I started looking at the data, and I always had my doubts about it, you know, because it was. It didn't sit quite right when they were saying the speed of science and stuff like that. And I knew that it wasn't properly tested or anything like that. It was just rushed through. And, you know, with science and a vaccine, it takes years and years and years of procedures and processes they've got to go through before it becomes available for the market. And this thing was just so rushed. And so I, I always had suspicions about it. And, you know, um, I just looked at the data and uh, what what I was seeing um, since the rollout, it just blew my mind. I was just seeing um, more and more people dying that shouldn't have been dying. It was just um, it was just obvious. If, uh, if you if you're a database administrator and you scroll through data, you can you can you can sense this stuff. And I'm not a statistician, um, although I do know data quite well. Um, well, sorry, I was just going on what the bio said. So so. Good. I, that's why I wanted to bring this out. It's because I want people to analyze this. I want people to look at it and say, you know, is this an actual thing? And I, I'm pretty sure in my heart it is. And they just need to, we need to open it up and the government needs to have an inquiry about it.
just bring it to the public's attention. I'm saying, government, look at this data and analyze it and answer some questions here that we've got. So uh, from what I understand now, and I haven't talked to um, senior producer Gary about if he's got any more information as of this morning, I think we, we just have no more information about whether he's still in jail or um, you know if they've released him on him being silent, I don't know. So this guy is in jail. They want to lock him up for years because he's letting the public know he had access to information, the data's good. How does this make sense? And as we told you yesterday, um, I think it was 51 people uh, that, that received a shot within a two hour period, 51 people dead within several months. So I'm sure that the vaccine people have incredible explanations for why that has happened. You know, uh, another, you know, there was a, some arsenic that was also in the water in the area, like something like that, that will be helpful to explain these unbelievable astronomical odds of this kind of thing happening. So we look forward uh, to that being presented to the public on all of this. I mean, it's really something. So the WHO's Tedros is calling for the phase out of fossil fuels. Have a look. WHO calls on leaders from government and industry to work together to phase out fossil fuels urgently and accelerate the transition to clean energy. Fossil fuels, coal, oil, and gas are by far the largest contributor to global climate change, accounting for over 75% of greenhouse gas emissions. Winning the world of fossil fuels is therefore the only way for countries to meet their commitment to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. This is a public health imperative. So all over the world, people die if they're too cold. And there's not enough electricity sometimes. Uh, well, remember when California, they had a big problem because they, they didn't have enough electricity for all the air conditioners that were on. And apparently being cold kills you too or being too hot, right? Uh, so being too cold will kill a, a human being, being too hot. So what has mankind done? Well, they've taken the resources that God so beautifully equipped the earth with, the resources that help you to have a great life. It empowers your car so that you can get around. Oh, you know, but now they want you to run on uh, electrical cars where you can't. I mean, in British Columbia here, a four-hour trip to Kelowna would probably get you stuck somewhere on the side of the road with nowhere to, you know, um, to, what do you call it? When you sure. charge it, yeah, to charge your car. So I, I don't think that this is really an option. Um, we've, we've come a long ways in helping to clear our air and do the best with all of that. But China, apparently, is the absolute worst, the worst, and they have no intention of stopping. So they, they just pollute the air, uh, God's green earth, um, you know, in all kinds of ways. Uh, here we are in the West, you know, getting things to bring emissions under control. I remember a few years ago, we had to put our car through air care uh, every year. What a pain that was, but, you know, and, and a scam, yeah, as you say. But I do remember that we stopped seeing all of this black soot 
uh, coming out of cars because people were forced to do the right thing to make sure that the emissions are dealt with in the, the best possible way. And I, I think there's nothing wrong with that. But then to say, like, how many people will die if we're going to stop the use of all fossil fuels? I mean, you're going to kill a lot of people. And I know that Tedros would not want that. So I'm going to write him a letter and let him know how dangerous that would be. Okay, so Green Party leader Elizabeth May um, at the COP28 UAE, is that the way you say it, uh, proudly holds up a picture which shows they are not interested in carbon capture at all. They want zero carbon. So, oh, isn't she a doll? She just wants to save the earth. What? Right, so we're made of carbon, right, like our personal bodies. <laughs> and, and, you know, carbon is necessary, so I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I know there's big money behind these agendas, and so if you can't put the big money into the COVID and make everyone kind of wealthy that way, well, then you kind of find these, you know, climate initiatives. And uh, I was at a meeting this morning, the incredible Carrie Simpson, talking about how Basically, in I think it's eight provinces now, they are forcing every livestock animal, including if you have a pet rat rabbit, um, has to be it, it has to be sort of notified or you know it's got to have its papers saying the government knows you have it. And then some people were told that you know if, if you've got um, poultry that you don't have the poultry for um, for making more, uh, well, for making more poultry. So that, yeah, so you don't, you, you can't just like make more food. The, all the food is going to be documented and controlled. So at any time, oh, you know, there seems to be, they, they've got these little um, things that they can put on the ears of certain animals. So, and they get charged by the 5G um, lines. And so these guys, well, first of all, they're getting, you know, electrical pulses or whatever, you know, this, um, you don't, you don't want that near your brain, let alone your animals either. And they, they want to know where the problems are. So let's say that they begin to show, oh, one of the animals seems to be sickly. All right, well, you've got to kill your, kill your entire stock there because we want to make sure nothing's going on. And they've apparently made horrendous errors, uh, you know, in having sheep called or something like that due to some fear-mongering that, oh, maybe there's this certain flu or, you know, some disease going through the animal population that is used for food. So they want to have very clear records of every bit of food that anybody has anywhere. And as if you're going to eat your pet rabbit, you know, that only happens in the movies. All right. So, what about this? Journalist Michael Shellberger warns us to protect our free speech right given what Ireland is about to impose on its citizens. It sounds like a Black Mirror episode. The police can enter your home unannounced, search your phone and computers, and arrest you for the things that you're reading, watching, or posting online. If you refuse, you could be sentenced to 12 months in prison. But it's not a Black Mirror episode. It's worse than that. It's real life. 
At this very moment, the government of Ireland is trying to pass a law before Christmas that will let the police go into people's homes and confiscate their phones and computers. Now you might think Ireland doesn't matter, that it could disappear tomorrow without much impact. But Ireland does matter. It's the test case for the next phase of the global crackdown by military and intelligence forces and their agents that's been happening over the last seven years. What they used to call a conspiracy theory has now been confirmed as true. Our research has exposed a far-reaching plan by military and intelligence agencies in the United States, Britain, and other nations to subvert the democratic process and engage in activities that have a basis in military techniques and which are tantamount to attempts at thought control. This isn't about censoring the far right. This is about censoring independent journalism. And if you're in Ireland, this is about censoring you. One understandable response to all this is to ignore it and hope it goes away or wish that it won't affect you. And maybe it won't, but our ancestors fought and died for the right to speak our truths, particularly about controversial cultural and political issues. And already we're fighting back and making progress. The Irish government was forced to back off this law once already, and we can make them back off again. Free thinkers in the United States and around the world must stand up now for Ireland. We have to fight the totalitarians over there so that we don't have to fight them over here. We need to send a message to the politicians and the police that the world stands with the people of Ireland and their first and fundamental right. It's pretty shocking. And given what's happening in the United States of America as well, um, I was just looking at a story that I, that I have uh, on my Twitter account, basically in that they've targeted people of religious faiths. They've targeted them if they are pro-life and uh, pro, you know, gender as in male and female, and that's it, right? If their belief system does not register with the Democratic Party, who's now basically in charge of the FBI and the CIA, uh, which is obviously a very compromised uh, to, you know, organized uh, bodies that are completely fallen at this time, um, but they they treat people badly. So this one guy that peacefully uh, protested a you know somewhere where abortions were uh, being done, they come into his home with the FBI guns ablaze in front of his family, and he had already said that he would turn himself in because they were saying, well, you know, they were he's going to be charged with mischief or something like that. And he said, well, I'll turn myself in. No, no, they want to wait till the early morning hours, freak the family totally out, wake everybody up in front of your kids. You know, it's a horrifying situation. And that's what they have also done with all the J6 uh, people, that they're still apparently still arresting them. So... Imagine if you were one of those unfortunate people who said, well, I'm just peacefully and patriotically, you know, uh, standing up for my nation on January 6th. And you end up, you know, and the crowd's kind of going into the Capitol and the police are bumping, uh, not telling anyone to leave. And you're one of the people that kind of wandered around. And you could expect that at any time you're the next person. And they're going to be able to come in at, usually they like to pick an early morning and, you know, they like to let CNN know that they're doing it. Apparently somehow CNN gets, you know, all this ahead of the time schedule uh, of who the FBI is going to be raiding on, that, on a certain day. And 
they target innocent people. So the weaponization of the justice system is very terrorizing. And so it means that if your belief system does not line up with the current government, uh, with the global elitists, with all of these uh, parties that are putting their money um, and their power into weaponizing uh, laws that can control us. And this is happening in Canada. This is happening in Canada. They're going to go after everyone who doesn't comply. Those that, that do not abide by the rules of the, the left. And my question for Canada is, when we're seeing what's happening with Justin Trudeau, um, and I do have a share here if you see this, JT. Um, but uh, do you see? Yeah, that's it. Um, with Justin Trudeau, so we should be having an election, hopefully sooner than 2025. We pray for that, and we pray daily for uh, the removal of Justin Trudeau so that righteous rulership could come into our country. Um, but Justin Trudeau, uh, so he spoke this a couple of days ago. I spoke with at Gavin Newsom. Wouldn't you just know that the two nice hair dudes, right? One from, one from Canada, one from the United States of America. Gavin Newsom basically biding his time. Like, will he be put in as uh, the person to run in the 2024 Democratic, you know, be the Democratic leader and uh, run for president. I don't know. Um, some say it's just not possible that Biden's going to have to go because it's getting too late. I think you have to have your name in by like very soon. I think it's December, really. And if your name is not in there, you don't get to run. Um, so it's a, it's a done deal. And, you know, Joe Biden, he barely knows what he's doing, but he says that he's running. And People say Obama's controlling him. Really? Is Obama making the decision? Like if Obama's really running this, this thing, shouldn't he be telling, um, you know, Biden that you're ruining the whole party? Because all these Democrats, these young people, I've been seeing a lot of videos of African-Americans. They're like, no, we are not voting for Biden again. He's a liar. He has not come through with promises uh, that he had for their communities, and they're not going to vote for him. So, so Justin Trudeau getting all buddy-buddy with Gavin Newsom, right, um, today, continuing our conversation from last month. Oh, so they're getting together once a month on their video call and just stroking each other's egos. You can just see it. I bet it's so fun. I'd love to be a fly on the wall. We discussed Canada's uh, agreement with Google, the role that journalism plays in strong and healthy democracies and more. On issues that matter to Canadians and Californians, we'll keep working together. Journalism, the role that journalism plays in strong and healthy democracies. Do you mean, do you mean the journalism in Canada that gets paid millions and millions of dollars, the journalism that's failing because CBC is, is having to lay people off because nobody believes them, because nobody trusts them. You, you, Liberal Party, are paying millions of dollars. Now, the question will be, will Pierre Polyev actually defund the CBC? And, you know, then some people say, oh, you can't defund the CBC because they put all of this Canadian content on when they're not doing the lying, sniveling news. You know, they're putting all this Canadian content on. Well, uh, they might be putting on Canadian content, but okay, 
maybe you could just smaller, just fund individual producers, perhaps, uh, fund real Canadian content. And we'd love to have that, by the way, because we are Canadian and we're producers and we do broadcast. So I look forward to maybe having um, some of that, those funds come my way once, uh, once uh, Pierre Polyev's gotten in. All right, so thank you very much for watching today. My name is Laura Lynn Tyler-Thompson. My website is lauralynn.tv. And uh, we appreciate so much those of you who will support this kind of broadcast. When you want to learn about transhumanism and you want to learn about the demonic schemes to ruin humanity, you will not find that on any of the journalism channels that Trudeau is now supporting. And Gavin Newsom, as his BFF forever, um, will not be supporting that kind of journalism in the United States either. So please keep that in mind that we rely on you and we really appreciate you. If you're able to help us, it keeps the lights on. It keeps us from having to be concerned, you know, about uh, how we keep going and keep on telling the truth because we also have expenses that go along with this. And actually it takes a lot of time and we have people that work with us. And so we thank you very much, very much. If you appreciate this, if you could bless us and you get an income tax receipt because our mission is to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into everyday life, right into the marketplace. So we are able to look at the news of the day, the biblical overview, um, the, the things that are happening. We're able to look at it through a biblical lens and that helps us to be able to give you an income tax receipt under our charity. So if you're looking to make sure that you've, uh, you know, paid enough charitable contributions this year so that you get a kickback next year when you do your income tax, then um, think about helping us. That would really, really be awesome. And I appreciate that very, very much. I want to leave you today with uh, a very special scripture. Psalms 145. It says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Let us not forget in the midst of all of these evil forces that tell us that the God of transhumanism, the God of uh, AI is what is the real deal, is what we will be bowing to. No, no, no. God laughs in the heavens because he is the true King. He's in charge of everything. And by the way, he already had this AI stuff figured out a gazillion billion years ago. He already does read our minds. He already knows everything you're thinking and that should scare us. <laughs> he, he understands the agendas of our heart rather than what we say. Isn't that interesting? I mean, everything that AI is trying to be is actually what God is. He's all powerful. He knows everything. He controls everything. Of course, he subjects himself to one thing. And I learned this from uh, Bruce Almighty with uh, Jim Carrey, Hu human will. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't learn it from, this, from him. But we were watching Bruce Almighty, the movie the other night, right? And Jim Carrey gets to be God for a day. And uh, God, which is played by Morgan Freeman, says, but I'm subject to man's will, to free will, because we get to choose. We get to choose. God has placed this gift for a brief time in our lives. We only get some 80 to 100 years if we're blessed. 
maybe a bit more if we're really got good genes or something or live in the Himalayas. But other than that, we don't have any more free will. It's given to us from the moment we take our first breath till we take our last breath, we get free will. But in the midst of all of it, God woos us. He shows us. He tries to entreat us into a relationship with him. Why? Because he loves us. Because he thinks you're amazing. Because he created you and he longs for relationship. And he's bound as the king. As the king that we exalt, he is bound by this one thing that we would choose him. So when David in the Psalms says, every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever, David chose to do that. David was a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he adhered his will to the sovereign Lord, to the sovereign God. And David said, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. No matter what happens in this next few years of the whole AI explosion and the concern over transhumanism and all of that, no matter actually what happens, no matter what, God actually is greater than all of it. He always has been, he always will be from times past to evermore in the future. He is the King of Kings. He is the God of all gods, small g. He is God, King over AI or any musings of man. He is most excellent. And because of that, he is most trustworthy. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless. You know, it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing. But for some of us, we feel that we have no choice. Because if we are silent about these abominable things, then we are letting evil go unchecked and we cannot do that. For those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement, I am deeply grateful. Thank you for all the letters that you've been sending. Thank you for the donations and the support. I found out that in order to speak the truth, you have to become very, very strong. If you would go to my website at www.lauralyn.tv, you'll find all of the ways that you can contact me. Remember, my friends, all is well. All is well. Thanks for joining me.